Lord, we just honor you today. We thank you in a generous and abundant God. Lord, we ask you to expand our hearts to become a generous, abundant people, abundant with words, abundant with thanksgivings, abundant in giving, abundant in every area of our life. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to be generous and abundant people. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We'll be generous. Give someone a hug, a smile or something. Give them a generous smile. Thank you, musicians. That was Praise the Lord. You just don't know how good it is to be back here. Just uh, had four days in the uh, United States, in Los Angeles, and uh, took some meetings there in the church. I'd been there about four years ago, and uh, it was a new pastor just come in. And uh, I didn't realize, of course, what the church was like. They said, they, I got an invitation to Melody Land. I went over there, and I thought, Melody Land? I've heard that name before, Melody Land. Man, where have I heard that name before? And then I got there, and then they, uh, they showed me this big portrait of Catherine Corman, and they said, this is the seat she used to sit on. Oh, yeah. And then this is there where Derek Prince used to prepare before the meeting. I think, oh, you know. <laughs> and I can almost feel everyone bowing down to the past and, and not realizing that in their midst, the glory had gone. What a terrible thing to have been talked to talk about what God once did and not be living today in what God is doing and will do. And that's where we want to live. And I remember going to my room thinking, God, how do I ever get to be here? I hate this place. I want out. And uh, <laughs> why to please beam me up in it to get me out of here. Anyway, God gave us a great breakthrough at that time. So I went back this time and there had been a huge change in the church. And uh, we just saw a lot of breakthroughs over. I took four meetings. And uh, not like Asia where they worked me morning, noon, and night. There it was just four meetings, which was quite good. It gave me a chance to have some time with the Lord to pray and uh, think. And, uh, but anyway, it was interesting going in the meetings. We had a lot of people healed, a lot of people very reserved. America's uh, just uh, it's something else. And uh, <laughs> the culture is uh, very superficial in many ways. And so church has taken on that kind of image and is also very superficial. It's also a very, very busy uh, place. You know, everyone is running here, running there, trying to make money. And so, uh, you know, often people can only come to church on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. Can't get there at all on the weekends because they work. And uh, so the whole of the culture is quite unusual. It's quite different to what we're used to. God's presence came in the very last night particularly. It was like a tangible presence of God came in and filled the whole place. And we just had tremendous uh, outbreak of God touching lives. It was really amazing. Had people coming in off the streets who wanted God to touch them. And uh, just uh, we had words of knowledge and prophetic flowed and some healing. Not a great depth in any one area, but just a good flow that really refreshed the church. And so it was a great opportunity, great chance to, to, to uh, be there in a different environment and to have to break through. But there was a real need to break through. It's like we take so much for granted here. Coming back here into the meeting now, uh, I just began to weep as I could feel the presence of God, see everyone jumping and so excited about God. And having been in a place where people are not excited about God, they're not excited about anything except themselves. And uh, to be in a church environment where it was, you know, it's tight and there's hard to get an atmosphere for God to be there and people are all holding back. Uh, it was just great to be here and to feel just... People so excited about the Lord, so in love with Him, and so appreciative to Him in a, in a, in a very expressive way. And we, and we need to be like that. We absolutely need to be like that for two reasons. One, that's what the Bible says we should be like. Abounding in praise, abounding in thanksgivings, clap your hands, shout for joy. And two, because it's contrary to our culture. 
You know, the culture is uh, passive, unexpressive, except for certain times, like football matches. But on the whole, it's very passive and shut down. And uh, we need to actually break out of that. You need to be different. You need to be different. And uh, so I just love you've got so many young people, so many people in the church, so alive and vibrant and not ashamed to express their life and love for God. So it's great to be back here. Uh, man, I just got up yesterday and thought, oh, what a heaven this place is. This is such a great place to be. So, uh, but anyway, God's got people in every part of the world he's doing a work in. So we had a great opportunity there. Benny Hinn sends his love to you. <laughs> I got to go to see Benny Hinn. Just, we were just driving down the road, and apparently he's a great friend of the pastor. And uh, so they uh, took us to Benny Hinn Studios, and uh, we had to push the button and get to identify voice ID to find out who we are and what, we'd, what our business there is. And then you get there's an armed guard with a pistol on the gate, and then you go through there, and there's big men that would just, you know, when they stand in the corridor, there's no way past. And, uh, but it's, it's part of the American culture because over there, uh, I was asking them a bit about it because, you know, it's sort of foreign. All of this is foreign to us. But they said, oh, well, in, in the American culture, to be famous is really important. And so some people would be happy to spend their life in jail if they could be famous in jail. And they'd get famous by shooting someone famous. And so he said, that's the culture we're in. So we've got to take steps and precautions because uh, people will pull out a gun and pop off an important person so they can become famous. Better to be famous in jail than the nobody outside. That's the way, that, that's the way many people think. And uh, the other thing they said is that uh, uh, photographers here can make thousands if they get a compromising picture. It doesn't matter whether there's any truth in it or not. If the picture looks to be a certain thing, then they can make thousands upon thousands of dollars. So they'll just run in and set up situations or photograph you at different, difficult times. You actually have to have people around you to protect you from all of that kind of thing. So with many, no one gets near him. And he's out in the street. He has to actually have a security zone where no one can get near him because there's nothing for, a, a, for it to be set up. A woman runs up, put, gives him a big hug, and a photographer goes like that, and there they've got $50,000 worth of picture. So that's the way the culture kind of works and thinks. So there are a lot of great things we saw, but uh, there are also this other kind of element of it that uh, it's foreign to us. And uh, I pray God that we never have to have that kind of deal happening. But uh, it's just sort of the way their culture goes. Well, it's great to be in uh, his studio, recording studio, a chance to talk with him, hear how God is opening up great doors. Next year, he'll be preaching in Damascus, Syria. Now, what an amazing opportunity to, to get into Damascus and to be able to uh, preach the gospel and to see multitudes saved and healed in that place. So it's uh, very, very, it was very interesting. Great experience, but great to be back. Amen. What a great place we live in, Hawke's Bay. And it's our privilege to be here. God placed us here. You could be somewhere else. You could be in India. Yeah, but you're here. And God's got a work for you to do here. All of us got a work to do, reaching out to touch lives. Amen? Bring, a, bring the blessings of God, the life of God to people. I want to thank Matt Charlton here. I want to thank Matt. If he's here tonight, today. Matt, there you are. Matt, why don't you stand? I want to thank Matt. He made his uh, property available for an outstanding event. Uh, on Friday night, uh, Guy Fox and uh, the whole team, of course, helped put it on. But Matt had the property and had the mess left there. And, uh, but thank you. We had uh, hundreds of young people there. It was a great, great, great event. Man, I loved it. And uh, just thanks to those who, uh, who uh, found some unusual fireworks at Warehouse. And uh, <laughs> very, very big bangs. <laughs> that was a very, very great evening. Thank you, Dave, and the youth for putting it on and making it all happen. Those who helped out and doing the cooking and stuff, thank you very much. It's a great event where you can just bring people along, where uh, unsafe people come. So, man, they just enjoyed it. And one guy came and he said, I just love being in an event where there was no booze and everything was just 
no fights, no nothing. We could just come and bring, he brought his grandchildren along. And said it was just so great to be able to come to an event. A lot of young people, all on fire and all full of fun. And it was just a nice, really good event. So we need those kind of things because we forget how, how the culture around us is suffering tremendously because of lawlessness. And uh, so I encourage you to bring people along. We need to be just praying this Friday night. Of course, we've got an, uh, our outreach for uh, women. It's to reach people who are not saved. Eh? So bring unsaved friends along to it. Uh, Joy's already asked several, and they've shown a real interest and willingness to come. People find it hard to find something they can go to which is good quality, entertaining, touches them, impacts them, and is not full of booze and full of uh, lawlessness. Uh, there's a tremendous need for us to provide something in this area. Amen? <clears throat> encourage you to... Later on this month, I've got a power healing course. And uh, one of the things God is uh, wanting us to become aware of is just, you know, I've never been any church anywhere that when you ask how many people are sick, you know, about three quarters of the church put their hands up. Isn't that true? Uh, for example, now, how many people are here today and you're sick in your body in some kind of area? You need a healing. You think, Come on, just put your hand up just to take. Come on, just put the hands up. Hey, why don't you all stand where you are and we'll just pray for you right now. Come on, stand just where you are. If you're sick in your body, you need healing. And look at all this. See? All right then. Now, the thing is, you all love me to pray for them, but I'm not going to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. And, of course, the moment you come to pray for them, you'll suddenly wonder whether God will heal or not. Is that true? For many people, they will wonder whether God will do a healing. And that very doubt in your mind is the thing that limits God moving through you. That's why we have the Power Healing Course, for you to come and have that doubt removed. So you know that God is a healing God and you have more confidence to pray for people. Say standing, everyone. God is a healing God. Amen. When Jesus went to the cross, not just for our sin, for our sicknesses. Come on, church, let's rise up around these people now. Let's pray together. Believe God for a healing right now. Put aside all doubt or fear, all limitations. God is a God who heals. Let's lay hands on them and pray in tongues now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we rebuke sickness. We rebuke all infirmity. We command infirmity to go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tormenting spirits, go in Jesus' name. We release God's healing power. We speak and decree healing into each person here today. Healing, be made whole in the name of Jesus Christ. Be loosed and released in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. After people have prayed for you, move around. Sense in your body whether something's happened. Stretch out if your arm or wrist and whatever's been in pain. Check whether that pain is gone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your healing presence. Praise God. Okay. Now, I wonder if we can open our Bibles in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Barbara Romans chapter 5, I want to share something with you. We've been doing a whole series on offenses so long that some are even offended. <laughs> going to stay. When are you going to get off this thing, you know, and tell us something different? Well, when you stop being offended, you know, <laughs> start changing. God's interested in relationships and uh, what he's trying to teach us in the season. It's not just about the need to forgive, but the high priority God places on relationships and the need for us to be committed to build relationships and to be part of the answer, not part of the problem. You know, if everyone's got problems with you, you are the problem. Come on, you're the problem. Okay, Romans chapter 5 verse 8. So today I want to talk about restoring a relationship. Last time I spoke, it was about how to get over an offense, how to deal with the issues of your heart, uh, the levels were offended. It's impossible to be in the world, not get offended and, and upset by something. And sometimes it can be very, very deep. 
Uh, people are from abusive families, dysfunctional families, family the father has left or the mother has betrayed the relationship, whatever. There's so many scenarios, so many possibilities for us to be hurt in life because we live in a spiritual war zone. We were born into a war zone. And uh, so as a result of that, we've got to learn how to, to deal with relationship problems and issues. We need to deal with offenses that get in our heart. So I've taken quite a bit of time showing you how you can recognize if you're offended, even though you don't think you are and in denial, how you can recognize it by its fruit. And uh, then we also told you how you could deal with the uh, offense in your heart, what to do with the grief and the pain and the hurt and the anger, the need to push it all out of your life, bring it to the cross, and to be able to let go. Now I want to talk about fixing the relationship, you know. It's like that TV ad that many years ago, it's the putting right that counts. It's the putting right that counts. Let's have a look at this verse here. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Now God commends His love, His love, towards us while we were yet sinners or still sinners or still hostile to God in broken relationship and continually offending God while we were then, Christ died for us. I want to share with you several things in here. This word, the, the word commends. God demonstrates or does something actually actively to show you what love is really like. Now, of course, we, we can only know that we've really passed from death to life when we actually love, when there is an expression, a tangible expression of love from our life. One of the things God wants you and I to have is a revelation of his love so we can draw on it to be able to minister love to people. Because love, most people think love of a wishy-washy kind of thing. But look at this. Notice four aspects of, of uh, God's love because it tells us that God's love is revealed by how he handles people who have messed up. God's love is really manifested in the way he treats people who messed up. Now, of course, we live in a culture that really wants success and promotes success, and success is everything. Reality is people fail and muck up. If you thought you were coming into a world where people don't muck up, Welcome to the real world, you know. Come on, take the red pill, come out of the matrix and get to the real world, see what it's like. In the real world, there's sin and there are issues. And the way the love of God is demonstrated is how we handle people who have failed. Not how we handle the good ones. The good ones we like. The ones who are nice to us, we like them. The ones who do good to us, well, we're very happy to do good back to them. Once you give to us, we're happy to give back to them. But nothing of the grace of God is seen in any of that because you don't have to be saved to do any of that, the Bible says. The love of God is only demonstrated or it's demonstrated most powerfully in the way we handle people who are in a mess, who have damaged their life or done something wrong. Homosexual, prostitute, person who's divorced, person who's on drugs, person who's an alcoholic. How you relate to such a person demonstrates whether you have a heart full of love and you're part of the answer or a heart full of prejudice and you're part of the problem. Think about it. And so there are four characteristics of how God demonstrates his love. And I want you just to notice it. I'm just going to give them very simply without developing them. Number one, God always acknowledges the true state of a relationship. God always faces up and says it like it is. Say, why we get sinners? Sin separates us from God. So when God's looking at people who have got problems or issues... He always faces the issue. He doesn't pretend it isn't there. He doesn't ignore it. He actually faces there's an issue there. So God, firstly, faces the issue. He always acknowledges the true state. Men have sinned. Men are broken, separated. We need to face that. 
and we've probably got people around us who are separated from us. We've probably got people who are in an offended state with us. We've probably got a number of broken relationships as we look back over our life. It helps if you just become honest and say that's what it's like. Second thing is God initiates action. God commends his love or demonstrates his love in that he sent. While we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to make the first move. He initiated the move. Love initiates the steps to fix it up. Love initiates the steps or action to restore the relationship. The third thing is, he said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love pays a price to fix the broken relationship. Now, that's the bit we don't want. Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't a nice, quick death, line up, shoot him. It was a slow, lingering, painful suffering on the cross. And that's what it cost him to fix up the relationship we'd messed up. When a relation is messed up, someone is going to pay a price to fix it. Now, let me ask you this. Who paid the price to fix it? Was it the one who caused the problem or was it the innocent person? It was the innocent person. So that's how God's love is seen when the innocent person pays a price to fix up a relationship someone else messed up. Now that's deep stuff, isn't it? That changes the way we think immediately. God's love is shown in that he is willing to pay a price, whatever it takes, to restore the relationship. Now, it's the last thing we need to see this to keep this in balance is God always sets boundaries to protect his character. God always sets boundaries to protect his character. Now, let me explain it. On the one hand, we see that God loves people. He's willing to pay any price to restore them. On the other side, he lays out the boundaries or the way it will happen. And if we don't meet that way, he holds us accountable for what the consequences are. So, for example, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, how many know that Jesus died for every person's sin? So, therefore, forgiveness is offered to every person. Is that true? Okay, then, does every person receive it? No. And the reason they don't receive it is because God requires or sets a boundary. This is my requirement for you to receive it. So he preserves his character. He's able to now reach out and demonstrate love, but puts a boundary on it and says, but it's only this far. You cannot have that relationship unless you meet it on the terms I set. That's setting a boundary. And they're going to look with relationships. A lot of Christians get wussy on relationships, flopping in and out of two extremes. One is you've got to love everyone no matter what they do. God loves people, but he sets boundaries. God initiates restoration process, but he sets out the terms that will happen. If you can understand that, it would be a great help in a relationship. So Christians offer, uh, uh, go between, on the one hand, just sort of it's greasy grace and we just love everyone no matter what. That's not true. That leads to disorder and chaos. God holds every person accountable for their failures in the relationship with him and with one another. Everyone will give account. Okay, the other extreme is, of course, is where we just react and then we reject people because of the problems in the relationship. So God shows us how to deal with it. He says, the Bible says very clearly, while we were still sinners or hostile, anti-God, got a bad attitude to God, while we were like that, he initiated steps to restore us and paid a huge price for that to happen. That's real love. Now, 
When we look then at the level of maturity in the body of Christ, the thing that's lacking is real love. Love that having experienced God's love is willing to pay a price to go and sort issues out when they need to be sorted out. And it's not easy. It's a cost. There's a cost. There's always a cost. And the innocent one is the one who pays the price. If you can get that fixed in your mind, otherwise you'll lock into retaliation. You hurt me, therefore you owe me, and now I'm going to pay you back. Oh, well, okay, you've got to be forgiving. All right, well, I'll forgive you and I'll just be sort of nice. But that's as far as it goes. Listen, that's not as far as it goes. You know you've passed from death to life when you love, when you can now initiate steps to fix the relationship up and pay a price to do it. Okay, how are we doing now? So you're getting, it's really deep, isn't it? Eh? It's, it really sort of hits us where we live. I want you to go back with me to Matthew chapter 5 now. And then we're going to show you. I'm going to show you some steps shortly, how you actually go about it, what you do. What you do. But we're going to look, I'm trying to get you convinced for the moment, the, the length to which God will go. Okay, then. Now, I want you to look with me, Matthew chapter 5. And we just pick it up where we were in the last time. And Jesus said, verse 21, you heard it said of old, you shall not kill. And whoever kills is going to be in danger of judgment. We saw sit back and say, well, I never killed anyone. I'm, I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. But Jesus said, hey, listen, wait, 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 wait. He said, but I'm telling you, this is not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about love that reconciles. So he said, I'm telling you this. He said, you may not have physically killed someone, but he said, he said whoever shall, who is angry without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever shall say to his brother, you fool will be in danger of the council. Whoever will say, fool, be in danger of hellfire. So if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go and first be reconciled. Underline those words, first be reconciled. God considers that it's important we put relationships right and have a right heart before God above worship. Now what happens, of course, what the Jews were saying was something like this. Now what the, what the Pharisees were saying is something like this. And we, we may ne never heard anyone say it, but we think it. The Pharisees were saying like this. You come to church, pay your tithes, sing the songs, listen to the message, take the notes, and go home, and God's really happy with it. It doesn't really matter what's going on in your heart that you might be angry with the person next to you or someone at home, that you might be bitter, that you might be harboring negative attitude towards him. It doesn't matter about all of that so long as you do the right thing externally. Now you can see that's where the religious culture goes, that the externals are important, but the internal is neglected. Jesus said, listen, I'm telling you this. If your heart attitude is not right, put it right before you come and offer your offerings. Because he said, I watch how you treat people, and how you treat people has a lot to do with how I recognize your worship. Now, you see, what we like to do is something like this. We like to ignore our relationships with people and say, it's just me and God. You know, it's just God and me. Hey, this is not about God and me. It's God and us. God is interested in a community. And of course, the Western society has so individualized Christianity, we think it's all about God and me, God and my ministry, God and my blessings, God will answer my prayers, God will help three, God will come through for me. It's all about me. But you see, God is interested in a community of people. 
Therefore, relationships are important. And so if we don't deal with relationships right and we come and we have this thing where we're worshiping God and we have really done something bad or there's a broken relationship, God is concerned about our heart attitudes. That's why Jesus said, you heard it say, if you kill someone, you're in danger of judgment. I'm telling you, if you are angry and your heart is messed up towards them, you are in danger. In danger. In danger. We don't seem to read the word and pick it up. You are in danger. That means something bad is about to happen to you. You are in danger. See, it it just takes something for this to get through to us because we live in a culture that just uses people and discards people where me getting ahead at the expense of everyone is the predominant thing. But this is not to be so in God's culture, in the church, which is based on the kingdom of God culture. It's a different culture. Okay then, so we're getting it here. So, all right then. So he noticed here the first priority is to be reconciled. That means to be brought back two parties together where there was hostility, where one is hostile to the other, they are reconciled or they're brought back into a place of unity. Now, there are four reasons we need to place a priority on relationships. Four reasons. There may be more, but I I thought of four. Let me give them to you. Number one, God commands it. In 1 John 4 and verse 20 and verse 21, it says something like this. It says, if you say you love God but hate your brother, how is the love of God in you? He said, if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you're a liar. So when you stand up and you say, I love you, Lord. But you really got some attitudes about people. You're lying. What you're saying and what you're really going on about are two different things. But the Bible says, how can you love God whom you haven't seen? Oh, it's easy to love someone I haven't seen. Especially if I can shut my ears. I I don't want to hear what he has to say. Oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. He says, how can you say you love God who you haven't seen and you don't love your brother who you do see? Okay, then. so when we see one another, we are seeing the body of Christ. We're seeing Christ and his people. So when you, when you really offend and hurt and damage someone else, when you don't love them and care about them, when you hurt them in some kind of way, you are actually... Damaging your relationship with God. We don't realize it. We just say, well, it's all about God and me. I feel okay about this. No, 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 no. We've got to see how we deal with people and, and treat them rightly. Treat them like God treats them. So God commands us. So he said, here's the command. And God says, command. 1 John four twenty one. love your brother. Love your brother. He said, it's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. Oh, it's a good thought. I've got a good thought at church on Sunday. Love your brother. Wasn't that an original one? No, no, it's actually a command. This command. And we saw God shows his love that while we were sinners or messed up, he initiates an action to to come near to us and to work with us. I found in the church, my experience over many years in church life has been when someone messes up, the majority of people turn their back on them. And you know what? That's not love. And I've noticed this, and that's why I've always kept my heart open towards any person that got offended here and went someone else, I know God doesn't give up on them. He will pursue them. He will continue to work on them because he's a covenant God. He's a covenant God. Once he's entered into covenant with us, he's not going to quit on us ever. 
is just we quit on one another because we don't understand covenant, nor do we understand the depths of God's love, nor do we yield to him in this way. We need to grow and change in this area. Amen? Okay, then. So number one. So number one, God commands us. It's a command. You want to walk in the blessing of God? Do what he commands you to do. Love one another. And so the world can see that we're disciples of Christ, not by the miracles, not by the power, but by the genuine love for one another. Here's the second reason why. It's because, two, we're called to represent Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, we are an ambassador for Christ. We're called to represent him. And so when people, to, to represent someone means you're speaking and acting on their behalf. You're saying the things they would say, doing the things they want done. So you are, we are ambassadors when we go out in the community called to represent Christ. So if we are bad in our relationships, use, use and abuse people, then we are not representing Christ. We represent the spirit of the world. People say, well, you know, one of the dilemmas in the, in the community here when it comes to finances is the bad reputation many Christians have in the way they conduct their business affairs. And people get ticked off. And they say, no, with a Christian, they'll rip you off. Now, that means people are blaspheming God because you lived a life contrary to your call. You, you and I were called to be an ambassador. We're called to be an ambassador. An ambassador for someone else. I represent someone when I go somewhere now. Once you think that way, you represent Christ. Third thing is, we are given a ministry. God's given us a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, we are ministers of reconciliation. You are actually called. Now, a lot of people think, well, I'm not an evangelist. No, that's true. But you are a minister of reconciliation, which means everywhere at all possible, you do what you can to heal relationships and to help people who don't know Jesus to make a step towards them. Why do you do it? Because you are that. And when you do what, you call, what God says you are, there's a fulfillment comes in your life. You can never be fulfilled with things. You can't be fulfilled with temporary success. You're going to leave it all behind you. The only thing that really satisfies, there's nothing wrong with all of those other things, cars and houses and all that kind of stuff. It's nice to have it, but no life is to be found at the end of that. Life is found when we are involved in the business of the kingdom, when we're involved in the thing we're called to do. Be an ambassador. Be a child of God. Be a minister of reconciliation. Find ways to step in and heal breaches in relationships. Say amen to that? There's some good reasons, isn't there? There's some very good reasons. And then the, the fourth one's a really good one. God warns us of the consequences if we don't. Tells us this, if we mess up in this area of relationships, there are a lot of things happen to us. We unlock the demonic realm, and then demonic powers begin to invade people's life. You know, <clears throat> one of the biggest reasons I think that Christians struggle to witness to their friends, there's probably two good ones. Number one is there's no passion and fire burning for Christ. And number two, because of disappointment that people we reached didn't respond. And so we closed our heart instead of doing what Jesus did, just renewing the efforts. He paid the price to reach them. When the church doesn't do what it's called to do, God, we're in trouble. We're called to reach people with the gospel and not to be seduced by the culture we're in. When we take on the same lifestyle as the culture, we're part of the problem. When we have another vision, another attitude, you say, man, I want to serve God. My life's here to count. God placed me in Hawke's Bay. There are souls going to come to Christ as a result of mine. I do. This place will be a better place. Wherever I am, I'm going to make something better happen in that place. 
That's what you're called to do. The moment you start to embrace that and do it, you start to feel fulfillment. A lot of people think the only way you can be fulfilled serving God is in some kind of ministry in the church. Get a life. There ain't enough jobs in here for you for a start. But outside those doors is endless possibilities. Endless possibilities. Here, well, we can stand on the door. We can do all kinds of things and serving, helping, whatever. At the end of the day, the majority of what we do is done in the community, extending the kingdom of God, reaching people, bringing God's influence out there. You say amen to that. Okay, then. Now, let's go and have a look at how we fix up a broken relationship. Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> if your brother, if your brother, so he's talking about your brother here. Not necessarily everyone. He's talking about if your brother. The Bible talks about brothers. He's talking about the family of God. If your brother... Matthew chapter 8, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, then you go and get on the phone and you tell everyone what a terrible person he is, destroy his reputation, defile the soul of every person who listens to you, get depressed over it, release demons over it. Did you have that version? Well, that's the version most people live. That's the version most people live. Here's what Jesus said, though. He said something different. He said, if your brother trespasses against you, then you go and tell him fault between you and him alone. Here's a go. There's three times we're told, or many times we're told to go. But in relationship areas, we're told to go once when you've offended someone. Once we're called also to go when someone's offended us. We're called also to go when someone's overcome in sin. But let's have a look at this one here. Go. If your brother has trespassed against you. Now, the issue of a trespass is a sin. Someone's done something. Now, if, here's the thing you've got to weigh up. It may be real. Man, he really did something bad. Badmouthed you, did something to you, yelled at you, did something, treated you badly in some kind of way. Maybe very, very real. Say? So maybe you were treated unjustly. How many be treated unjustly by someone, unfairly by someone? Is there anyone here who hasn't? Right, we're all on the same page here. So now the other thing is it could be perceived. In other words, it's all in your mind. You thought he really treated you bad, actually, he treated you good. You thought he meant evil, and actually he meant good. You just thought the wrong thoughts. Prejudged it without actually giving him a hearing. So many times, we get angry with someone because of what someone else said. And don't even think whether the person may not have said that at all. It may have been misreported, misquoted, or we may have just got it all wrong. So... There's real injustices. Someone really did something. Then there's those that perceive. You know what? We get angry at both. And most times, we don't consider that maybe there's been a misreporting here somewhere. That maybe I've only got half the story. When you've got half the story, then you've got a deception in your hands. You've got to find the whole story. So offenses can be real or perceived. And uh, the most common response is to react. We want to react and tell someone. Now, how many have had the experience someone coming to you and they have been downloading about someone else who upset them? Have had that experience? Okay, let me ask you then how you felt afterwards. What did they minister to you? Because they did minister to you. You had sweet fellowship around offenses. You ate the table of the devil. Offenses. And while you were having the sweet fellowship around the fences and he's bad-mouthing you and you're eating the same kind of rubbish off the plate, how did you feel afterwards? I'll tell you how you felt. You've, usually you feel angry with the person you've been talking about. 
and you feel offended with the person you've been talking about, and actually, although you don't realize it, because you've been eating that table, you can't fellowship with the Lord. You can't actually connect with God because of what you've done. It's a real problem. And uh, when people come and tell us something, you've got to know this, that anyone who's ever had kids, kids will always blame the other kid, and they'll always, Miss Innocent, me? Would I do that? You know what kids are like. Well, adults are no different. When they come with their story, they conveniently leave out certain facts, which if you had them would change the whole story. Yeah? Or they tell it in a certain way that slants it. We used to say, in the, when we were teaching in the school, we said, kids bring slanted news. It's got an angle. If you've ever had anything to do with news media, you realize usually they don't report facts. They come with their angle. And then they look for everything to reinforce what they have already decided is the way it's going to be. Prejudice, okay? And uh, so we're not to do that, not do that at all. So, okay, so real or fake. So now let's, let's ha- what do you do? Uh, first of all, someone comes to you, here's a simple way of dealing with it. How many, how many have been, had that bad experience? Someone come down, bad mouth someone else, downloaded them. You know, it's, God really hates this stuff. You just don't know. You see, come and think, God, God bless this, and you're doing something he hates. Hello? What's going to happen here? See, so God hates it because it sows discord. It divides up relationships. Sometimes just remaining silent when you should speak up sows discord because you've come into agreement with what they were saying. So what should you do? Just ask them this question. Why are you telling me this stuff? Why are you telling me this stuff? Is it true? Did you check your facts? And have you been to the person concerned? Can I quote you on what you've just told me? Now, you will alter the atmosphere immensely, just with four questions. But if you go quiet, then you'll be defiled. And you'll have an issue then. And hey, they won't have been helped by you listening. They needed to have you ask the questions. Hey, why are you telling me this stuff? Why tell me? I'm not the right person. Didn't you read Matthew chapter 18? If your brother trespass against you, you go to him alone. See, God's given us the answer how to do it. It's just we don't want to do it. It's much easier to go talk to someone else. Sometimes if you go talk with someone else, you just become more offended because you're like Lot. You're looking back all the time. Lot's wife. Looking back, you'll become a pillar of salt. Looking back all the time. (laughs) And, And what happens is you defile everyone. So let me give you the keys, the simple things you do. Here it is. Very simple. Very simple. If your brother trespass against you, you go to him and tell him his fault between him and you alone. And if he hear you, you've gained your brother. So let me give you the key steps. I'll just give them to you very simply so you understand it. Very, very simple process. Now, do we need to go in every situation? No. The biggest thing is most times... You can just get over it and, and bring it for the Lord. That's all it's needed. You don't have to go to everyone. And, you know, I've had people come this to me. Man, this is the wrong way to do it. They come up to me after church. We've had a great service, great time with God. And so I've had people, do, and you can't believe how many times people have done this. I want you to know I've forgiven you. I've hated you for years. But I've forgiven you. And then they walk off. Not really blessed. They're really blessed. Well, that blessed me. That wasn't what this is talking about, by the way. That's not it at all. They missed the point altogether. They missed the point totally. It's not what it's all about. They just dumped their rubbish, walked off. 
And one person goes, I've been angry at you for two years. I said, I've had a happy life for two years. <laughs> See, he said, the thing is, why? I said, why? No, two years and you never said anything. What is wrong with you? Two years you've been angry. Dear God, two years. Can you imagine that? Two years you're angry. Whoa. That's dreadful. Well, it's very simple. You go to him and him alone and talk it out. It's real simple. Why is it so hard? Say, why do we side with the devil and create so many problems? Well, all we've got to do is go and sort it out. See, love will always go and talk to the person concerned. When you're telling someone else, you're not solving your problem, you're making it worse, you're drawing it out, you're getting yourself and them into trouble, you're defiling the church. Why don't you just do what God says to do? Why don't we do it? Here we go. Let's have a look what it's like. Number one, you need to pre- we need to prepare our heart. Before you ever go to talk to someone, prepare our heart. Now, that means this. Preparing our heart means we've got to get rid of the anger and the frustration and the hurt. We've got to come before God and in the presence of God, remember what's happened and release it and start to bless the person. In other words, see, when Jesus came into the earth, he didn't come out of heaven all angry. You guys, you've been messing up so bad. I had to come out of heaven. I'm ticked off coming out of heaven where it's good and coming here into the smelly, dirty earth with all these sinners. He didn't say that. Now, if you go try and sort out a problem and you're angry still, you know what's going to happen? Your attempts to put it right will end up with a shouting match and now it's far worse, almost irreparable. You have to get your heart right first. So when God so loved, he went in the spirit of love. When Jesus came into the, into the world, he came in with the spirit of love. Not with the spirit, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to point out to you some things. Now listen here, I know what you be, listen, let me tell you something. There's hell five of you. No, he didn't come that way. He came with love. He came with compassion. He came and he showed how good God is and how God will heal even bad people, sinful people. He, he, he'll heal people, he'll touch people because he's good. He's good because he's good. Hey, if you're a good person and you know you're a good person, you'll always want to do good because you're good. We have a good God in us, wants to do good things. So number one, you've got to resolve the things in your heart. Then you've got to go with the right purpose. The right purpose for going is not to cane them or tell them off. The right purpose is to restore the relationship. When Jesus came into the earth, he had one thing in mind, expose the devil and destroy his works and restore the relationship. You got it? Okay, so number one, we have to prepare a heart. Now, that may take you a little bit of time. Do not go and try and fix up a relationship while you're still hurt and angry. It'll only get worse. Because somehow they will say something that will tick you off and your eyes will flash with fire and then you'll be on about, you know what it's like. You've all been there. Okay, second thing is you've got to choose the right time and place. There's a time and a place for these things. So after you've spent your heart time with prayer, you've got your heart sorted out, no anger. All you really want to do is get this thing sorted out with the person. Then choose the timing and the place well. See, timing is everything. So if someone's really busy, preoccupied, don't go up and talk with them then. That's not a good time. They won't give you any time. You'll never get heart-to-heart things. You've got to prepare and have a time when you can be alone. Do not try and talk it out with someone else there. Because what will happen is the person will feel they've got to defend themselves and they're never going to admit they've done wrong in front of someone else. So you don't do that. There are exceptions to that, but on the whole, you just go, you and him alone. So you just ask, is it convenient to just have some time to talk? I'd like to just talk about something that's come up. 
and I wonder what time would suit. You make a time that works for you both. You need to make a time when, when neither of you are rushed, when you've actually got the time to sit and talk and work it out, and you need to be in a place where you're not going to be interrupted by phones or anything like that, a place where you can be just able to sit and talk with the person and work it out. Okay then, so time and place, we've got there. Now when you get there, what are you going to say? <laughs> oh, God, you, 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 you. No, 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 don't do that, no. The, the, use the sandwich principle, you know, where you have bread and meat and, and then the sandwich. You've got the bread and, the, and, the, and then the, the bread and the, the meat in the middle. Now, what you need to do is just, first of all, it really helps to just value the relationship. So really value our relationship. But there's something come up we need to talk about. It's very simple, that's all you need to say really value our relationship, we really appreciate this in you, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you see, people can feel your spirit. They feel your heart, they feel your attitude you're coming in, they feel whether you're genuine or not, and say, well, I really value our relationship, there's something come up, I really feel I need to talk about to clear the air, or something like that. And then you need to identify, now you need to speak directly. Don't, at that point, you don't beat around the bush. Now, just be very direct. I understand that you said this, or you did this, or I saw you say, do this, or I heard you say this, and this is how it's affected me. So you're, you're very specific about what's happened, and you talk about how it's affected me. This really deeply wounded me. Really, it's really hurt me very badly. I really found it very difficult to cope with what I'm doing because this, now you own your own feelings, own your own stuff. Talk about what's happened and then how it's affected you. People need to know how it's affected you. See? And uh, then, when you've done that, then ask them, give them an opportunity to talk. Give them an opportunity to explain. Because remember, there may be that you did get it wrong. And it may be it wasn't like you thought at all. It may be that, that their heart, their intent was completely different. So you've got to go there with an open heart. It may not be. If you go there want to beat down on them, then you're going to have an ang angry reaction. But you go with an open heart. Man, I just want to get this relationship restored if at all possible. If possible. It may not be possible, but you could at least do your part. And sometimes it isn't possible. Some people are so set in what they're doing, they're not going to change. And you, you, you're going to have to face that one in a minute too. Okay, so speak directly then. Just affirm the value of the relationship. Talk about the issue. So look, I really value our relationship. Something's come up I need to talk about. Look, you know, it was reported to me you said this or you did this. And this really hurt me when I heard that. You know, is there any truth in that or what, what, what really happened? They understand that's not judgmental. It's just saying this is the thing that's the problem and this is how it's affected me now. Could, could you talk about this thing? Let's talk about it. And uh, so that leaves it open. Then the next thing you need to do is listen. You need to listen. You need to listen. Okay? You need to listen. Listen means you're not trying to work out what you're going to say next. Listen means you're open to actually hear what they've got to say. Now, God did it. When Adam messed up, God went and asked some questions. Hey, Adam, where are you? You're over here, honey. He said, oh, who told you naked? He said, well, you eat that tree. So he just asked questions, and he listened to Adam's replies. And after he listened to Adam's replies, then he made his decision. Now, Peter and, uh, did it with Ananias and Sapphira. Hey, did you sell this land for such and such? He gave him a chance to talk and explain. You've got to give people a chance to talk and to explain themselves and to talk about what's happened. And what you are going for is to see if they will hear you so that you can get your brother's relationship back again. The purpose of going is to gain your brother, not to prove you're right, not to prove he's wrong. The purpose is to gain the brother. It's to restore the relationship. And it will cost you to do this. 
It's painful to do this. It's horrendous to do this. Now, of course, then the next thing that happens is you may have to own your own part. It may well be, actually, there are some things you did that contributed to this problem. And if you've done some things, that could, maybe your bit was, temp- I was only 10%, my little bit. How can you be blaming me now? I've come to you. It's your problem. You know? No, don't get like that. Just listen. And if you've got a part of it, which is something you have done, own your part and apologize. Now, most people have real trouble apologizing. Because we're full of pride. I was wrong. It's the hardest thing for a man ever to say. Three words men can hardly ever say. They'd rather pass out and die before they said it. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? It's very simple. It's not hard to make a good apology. Good apology requires you hear the thing out, and then you recognize what's happened, and then you own your bit. Now, even if your bit's only 10%, do your bit. You're not going there to prove they're wrong. You go there to regain the brother, and doing your bit is a big part of that. See, God did his part. We do our part. The outcome is in God's hand. If we've done our part, the outcome's totally in God's hands. He is the one who then is left to sort it out. He's responsible for what happens then, not me. I've done my part. Okay, then. So we own our own part. Sometimes we've got to say something. And then... If that person repents of what they've done, then you forgive them. Now, a lot of people don't understand that. They think, well, I just got to forgive everyone. Well, actually, we, we maintain a spirit of forgiveness. But God is a spirit of forgiveness to the earth. But not everyone is forgiven because to get the forgiveness and to be reconciled, they have to acknowledge their sin and repent. See? So even though Jesus has died for the whole world, the whole world doesn't get saved until they acknowledge the breach and then repent. Now notice what the Bible says. You go to the brother and you talk to him, and if he hear you, if he hear you, mean if he acknowledges, yeah, yeah, I realize there's something between us. Yeah, I realize what I've done. Now you can regain them. But if they don't admit anything, then you can't do anything. And what will happen is you can't close the breach then. The best you could do if someone else has witnessed it is to go with another witness and to do it again. And if they won't listen, then you can bring it to church leadership. And if it's a major issue, then it will be a confrontational thing of a major nature. But most stuff's not that kind of level, you know. So what do I do then? When I face the person, we talked it all out and shared, and there it is, and, and whatever. Now, the thing is, God offers forgiveness, and it usually requires something. Now, if we can just be really practical with people, because you can get real fuzzy-wuzzy on this one. The ideal is this. They say, yeah, I'm sorry. I just really messed up. I really didn't realize how much it had hurt you. Please forgive me. If they do that, they've heard you, they've acknowledged, and you are immediately reconciled. You sense their change of heart towards you, and then immediately the relationship now it can be reconciled. You know, the hostility's gone, but it takes a bit to rebuild back the trust. Forgiving doesn't mean I trust you. I forgive you because that's part of my, who I am. But trusting? Nah. You've got to earn the trust. And you've got to earn the trust by relating to me properly and by leading, a, and if there's an issue, that you put it right. I don't have to trust everyone. It's a silly thing to trust everyone. Why would you trust everyone? Jesus didn't trust everyone. He loved everyone. He didn't trust everyone. Trust is a character issue. I can love you because I'm a loving person. To trust you requires that you show a dependable character. 
Okay then, so I've come on the person, ideally, and ideally they say, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't realize what I'd done has hurt you so much. Thank you for coming to me. I am so sorry I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And then you can pray together, it's all over. And often then, as you sow into the relationship, it gets better. However, it doesn't, all, how many know it doesn't work out like that? If only. God's way is so easy. Why doesn't it work out? Well, the person often gets defensive and proud and they don't want to put it right because they're not walking in love. And you can't make them. So sometimes, though, people will just do something to indicate that they're sorry. Accept it. Don't require that everyone say something. When Jacob went to Esau, Jacob never said he was sorry to Esau for ripping him off. Jacob just gave him a gift. But the giving of the gift indicated his heart had changed and Esau was happy with that. So sometimes people won't, men find it real hard to admit their faults and say they're sorry. Remember, they're still trying to get the Aussie, the Aussie Prime Minister to say, I'm sorry. It's the one word, the three words, he won't say, I'm sorry. Isn't that true? They won't, no one say sorry about the Aborigines. So the Aborigines remain offended. But they could do some things. And saying the words really helps. Now, the other thing is, and of course, if the person, uh, if the person doesn't demonstrate that truly repentant heart, although you've offered forgiveness, it may not happen. Now, you have to realize sometimes you've just got to set new boundaries. You may need to just say, well, look, I don't feel happy about how this has worked out. And you may either specifically by words or in your own heart just make a decision, I'm going to create some space now because I don't think you've really heard me. Now, there's an example of that with Jephthah. Jephthah was terribly treated by his family, terribly treated by the leaders of the nation, went out, was driven out and rejected, got touched with God, got rid of his bitterness, of offenses and everything. He got a life filled with God. And then suddenly the nation's in trouble. They'll come and say, hey, help us. Isn't that amazing? They've offended him. Now they say, well, you've got to help us. You know, he could have said, yeah, right. But what he did was this. He said, no, these are the terms I'll help you. In other words, he set boundaries that the relationship would be established again. And sometimes we've got to do that too. So setting boundaries is a healthy thing in relationships. You can't always get everything right when you go to see people, but at least you can follow those steps. Remember, God values relationships. Love makes that effort to build the bridge, and it costs you something to do it. When you do it, get your heart right, get the time and place right, go and bring the issue out directly, seek to hear the person out, own your stuff, and bring it to conclusion if at all possible. If it's not possible, you may need to just let it go or bring someone else and have a second go at it. It doesn't always happen. But we could go a lot further than we have gone. Wouldn't that be right? How many know you could do better than you've done? How many thinking now there's probably someone you could go to and you could already sort something out out quite easily? Not me. (laughs) Father, let's just close our eyes then so no one's looking. Father, we just thank you. You're speaking to us about love that builds bridges of relationship, that reaches out to people who are offensive in their behavior and still offers the handshake of friendship. Father, we just thank you for the great love you've shown to us that while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. I'm praying, Lord, today that a great spirit of reconciliation and peacemaking will come upon the church a willingness to talk things face-to-face with individuals rather than talk behind the back, a willingness to pay the price and go, Lord, we need a greater input of your love to us, but we're mindful, Lord, you've commanded us to do this, that if our brother trespasses against us, 
to go to him and him alone. I'm praying, Lord, that believers in this church will react to someone downloading offenses on them. They'll rise up and say, why are you telling me this? You, you got this facts right? you go see that person? Can I quote you? I'm praying, Lord, that a different attitude, that we'll no longer accept offenses, but we will confront them and establish godliness in the house. Father, I pray for special grace for people here today who know that there's someone to go to. I'm asking you to give them the time, the place, and prepare their heart and give a great outcome in Jesus' name. Can you just feel the love of God coming into the place? He loves people. He was willing to step out of heaven to help us to break out of our hostility and our bad attitudes. When you gave your life to Christ, you joined with him in his mission to go to people who are in sin and are hostile to God, maybe even to you, and to show them what God is really like. That God comes to people. God offers love and forgiveness. God talks directly. But God also sets boundaries. This far, no further. Lord, teach us to love like you loved. So that people will say, we see God is in this place. We see these people follow Jesus because of the way they connect one with another. Why don't you just now, just as we finish, not going to stand up and sing some loud song. Why don't you just pray for the person next to you that God will increase his revelation of the love and that they will be empowered to be a healer of relationships. Come on, pray, pray something. Pray something. Just what God puts in your heart. Pray for the person next to you. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. Don't forget, if you're a visitor, come on upstairs, have a cup of coffee. Just fly to that song here. Just keep it soft.